Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the Metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Hello and welcome to Baseball Barbacast, the only baseball podcast in the world, letting it eat on Yom Kippur. I'm Jake Mintz. That is Jordan Schusterman. Holidays are right around the corner, baby. Very big difference between letting it eat and letting us eat. I think right. that is a very important distinction, uh, and 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 but a relevant one because I think the term letting it eat, which has become a, one of our favorite uh, phrases in the baseball lexicon, to just just go for it. Is is that how you would describe fasting for Yom Kippur? Kind of right, because it's like a, you're really committing to something. Exactly. Not eating is indeed letting it eat. On today's podcast, we are going to let it eat on the final stretch run of the MLB season, taking a look at the things we are most excited to watch over the final, what, like three series of the season. It's really coming down to the end. We will say Padres a hundred times. We'll talk about Junior Caminero. Tampa top prospect coming up and say goodbye to the Nats, Cardinals, and Red Sox. And then, of course, a Friday edition of the good, the bad, and the ugly. But Jordan, how you doing? I'm doing well, man. I'm excited uh, going into this Yom Kippur weekend. We will not not be doing a podcast on Monday. Just going to get that out of the way. But we'll be back on Tuesday making sure you guys get three shows next week. But I'm excited, man. I know this was going to be our first topic. Just looking ahead at this schedule, looking at the standings on this Friday morning, Oh my goodness, there is so much to digest. I purposefully did not watch any baseball last night. I logged off. It was kind of a a crappy slate of games anyway, as Thursdays sometimes are. And I said, you know what? I need to gear up. I need to make sure I am locked and loaded and be fully energized for these last 10 days. It was last Mariners off day, so that's definitely important. And man, oh man, I'm excited. See, I had the same plan, but then I got home and my fiance said to me, Hey, can we pop open a bottle of wine and watch A's Tigers? And I said, sure. <laughs> if you insist, if you insist. I'm sure that is exactly what happened. Uh, but yes, I am excited for all these topics. Before we be- get going, uh, a couple housekeeping notes. First thing is you can email us at baseballbarbacast at gmail.com. Again, keep those emails coming. Even as the playoffs uh, are nearing, we are <laughs> always looking at the inbox, always loving the emails that we are getting. And then the other thing to mention is that yesterday we went on quite the run of, of podcast appearances. And so if you are a fan of either the Orioles, Braves, Rangers, Dodgers, Reds, Phillies, or Astros, good news. There is an entire podcast dedicated to your team featuring us that we recorded yesterday, Locked On Podcast Network. Those seven teams, you can go check those out. Uh, super fun. So thanks to everyone over there for for hosting us. And yeah, if, if you're a fan of those teams, you're in luck. If we're not talking about you enough here uh, this week, well, good news. You uh, got you covered over there. So thanks to all those wonderful hosts for having us. But Jake, this is our podcast. And the reason I'm so excited this morning is that I'm home. This is like when you're on the road for a long time and you know, you're know you getting used to oh, some hotels and 
So not as familiar toilets. And now you're bad. This is it. This is where I belong, Jake. This is where I really should be doing podcasts. I love going on other people's shows, but this is where I feel most comfortable. This podcast is our toilet. God dang exactly. it. Exactly. Exactly. And so I'm happy to be here. And let's begin, Jake. There are 10 games left for most teams. Eight games left in the case of some. Uh, a little over a week. These standings are ridiculous. Where would you like to begin? If you could just pick one thing that you're looking at the standings this morning, you said, oh my gosh, how is this going to shake out? What would it be? Well, I want to actually start the other way. Mm. I want to put some things to bed that we Ooh, yeah, know that's, now. That's, a, that's actually a good way to kind of set it up. What are we Cross, not thinking about? <laughs> I am not thinking about the NL West or the, a, or the NL East. The Braves and the Dodgers have won those divisions and they will be in the playoffs. The same can be said, more or less, for the Milwaukee Brewers and the Minnesota Twins, both of whom will clinch in the coming days. So those are the two centrals. The divisions still up for grabs are the AL East and the AL West. Let's start with the AL East. The Baltimore Orioles, my beloved Baltimore Orioles, are a game and a half up over the Tampa Bay Rays. They have the tiebreaker over Tampa, so that might as well be two and a half games effectively. Orioles lost last night in a very bizarre game to the Guardians, and the Rays came back and won against the lowly Angels. This one is going to come down to the wire. The O's, they're not exactly scuffling down the stretch, but the offense has looked a little bit nap time, whereas Tampa Bay certainly will be energized by the magic Junior Caminero, who has been called up by them. Jordan, uh, the AL East. I I am excited to see how this goes, but as an Orioles fan, I would say I am more nervous and trepidatious than excited. I don't want this to get any closer than it is. See, that's interesting, and I I understand that, and I can't can't tell you how to feel, but it's hard not to say when we contrast it and move this into the AOS conversation where the Mariners are entering this stretch where it is seemingly as likely, not exactly 50-50, but there's simultaneously a dream of winning the division and a fear of missing the playoffs entirely. The Orioles are at least in. You will watch them play baseball games in October. And I understand the concern because when you there's a chance that it's like a... I mean, honestly, it's kind of wild. We are heading towards not quite as historic, but a Dodgers-Giants situation where there are these both of these teams could win 100 games and one of them is going to the wildcard series. And that is, that is a, a wild reality and, and, and a little diff, different kind of thing. But... I, I hear you. I hear. I hear the nerves, but I think that 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 tiebreaker should make you feel a little more confident. And I think that that O's fans have to be feeling good. Also, the other thing that helps them is the schedule a little bit. I know we we've been cautious to make too much of the schedule, but Tampa playing six more against Toronto uh, and two against Boston compared to the Orioles, who have the Nats uh, a couple times as well as the Guardians three more times, and Boston four more times. So I think that also helps. I think you're going to be okay. But I, it's still the fact that the Rays have made it interesting as a neutral, I am excited for that too. Let's jump into the absolutely chaotic American League West. First of all, thankfully the Angels suck because adding a fourth team to this mess would be too much for me. Uh-huh. Here's how things stand on the morning of Friday, September 22nd. The Astros are 85 and 68. The Mariners and the Rangers are 84 and 68. They are each a half game back. The remaining schedule for the Seattle Mariners, they have, what is it, seven against Texas? It's three in Texas, three in Houston, four at home against Texas. 
Uh, when we looked at this in June, it was like, wow, that's going to be wild. And never could we have imagined these teams would be a half game separated from each other going into uh, this final stretch here. And if this feels historic, it is. Uh, Sarah Langs tweeted this a couple, a couple days ago. Um, this is the first time that three teams in the same division were all within a half game or fewer of first place with all having 10 games or fewer left to play since divisions began in 1969. That is a nice playoff race right there, Jake. Um, but also a terrifying one. And because of the way that the, the rest of the postseason picture shakes out, because the Rays are so far ahead, and because Toronto is also right there with nearly the same record, it is that thin of a margin. You could win the division in the next 10 days. You could miss the playoffs entirely. That is a very, very weird spot to be in. But the Rangers and Mariners are going to do They're going to figure it out. I mean, <laughs> I mean, maybe not. Maybe they. it'll be, you know, four and three in one way or the other, and the Astros end up kind of pulling away. Maybe one team will take advantage and bury the other. That's That would really be the most dramatic and heartbreaking version for one of these franchises. Um, but I, I cannot wait. Sorry, I'm currently on the Wikipedia page uh, for the term Mexican standoff to try and figure out how offensive that term is. It seems relatively, uh, I think, unoffensive. It is from the Mexican-American War, Mm -hmm. which dates all the way back to 1876. And there was nothing offensive about the 19th century at all. So a Mexican standoff, for those who don't know, kind of a three-way gun battle where everyone's guns are pointed at someone else in the triangle. Right. And that Maybe is the, a more a, a more a more modern reference would be the scene in the office. <laughs> the scene in the office <laughs> that is but with real guns. With real guns. With real guns. Yes, with, with, real, with guns. real guns. Very true. That is the American League West situation right now except mm-hmm. the Astros are like a little further away from the Mariners and the Rangers mm-hmm. because they don't they only have to play the Mariners. They don't have to see the Rangers again. And the the Mariners and the Rangers, those seven games are going to determine that. Now, I know we've said thing. this about Houston, though, and they already blew these big opportunities in the series against Oakland and Kansas City the last week. They have Kansas City coming to town this week. Houston has been weirdly not very good at home this season. If they can't take care of business against the Royals and the Mariners are coming to town, that, I mean, you talk about sweating. Like, Astros fans have not been in a situation like this for the last five or six years. And now now you really start getting worried. But there's a version where they sweep the Royals. They start gaining some steam. The Mariners and, and Rangers are exhausted from beating up on each other. And the Mariners go into Houston. And, it, it, you know, it's a little bit easier. But, boy, oh, boy, that is that is this is really here for you, Houston, again, as it was for the last week. And they haven't taken it just yet. Where are you at? mentally and emotionally as a Mariners fan right now because yeah. they're a half game back and they could win the division, like you said, yeah. which would be incredible. Yeah. Or they could not make the playoffs. Yeah, Where are you at confidence-wise on the scale of buying playoff tickets mm-hmm. to not watching any of these games out of dread? <laughs> so I actually am decently confident the Mariners have also been a little bit better on the road and and their lowest moments this season have come in kind of embarrassing no-shows at home, which could still happen at the end of next week. But I kind of like the idea of getting the momentum on the road here uh, and uh, in Houston where they've actually played well this season against Houston and then just hoping and trusting that the starting pitching is going to be an advantage compared to the both of the teams that they're they're about to play. We'll see how t- uh, Houston ends. I believe Houston ended up lining up their rotation so that they will have Verlander and Frombo throwing against them next week. Um, but we'll see. So I 
I'm actually reasonably confident. And again, as, as ridiculous of a scenario as it is, that it is so scary that they could miss the playoffs, the opportunity to win the division is worth the stress of missing the playoffs because that was just not something that I thought was going to be in the picture on September 22nd at all. It was not. And so that that opportunity alone is is very, very, very exciting. So we'll see. We'll see how it goes. Obviously, we'll have a few more podcasts before the end of the regular season, but this is it all starts tonight, man. Before we move to the National League, I guess we just have to copy and paste Toronto in here. So the, the Blue yeah. Jays are one game ahead of the Mariners and the Rangers. They have the same record as the Astros. That means they're a half game up on the two AL West teams in the American League wildcard race. They are they just complicate this entire thing for those two other teams because they that's the reason the Mariners or the Rangers might not make the playoffs is the Blue Jays are in there. Right. But also there's the scenario where Toronto chokes it and we do get three AL West teams, right? We're gonna have three AL West teams or we're gonna have three uh AL East teams. Um, and that is, I guess, not that shocking <laughs> considering the state of the central, but uh how it shakes out will be very interesting, especially since they are playing Tampa Bay, who is very much still playing something. They play them six more times. Let's put some predictions out there. We don't like doing predictions. We hate it. We prefer mm-hmm. to watch the chips fall. Mm-hmm. How does this shake out? I do think Toronto ends up falling out. And it is because of Tampa. I think Tampa, whether they get there or not, whether they win the division or not, I think Tampa is going to really make it make you sweat <laughs> at the very least. And I think the fact that they're playing Toronto that many times, I, I think that Seattle and, and Texas are going to manage to sneak in even after playing each other this many times. See, I'm skeptical that Seattle and Texas can, can both get in. Mm-hmm. I just think the math is a lot harder. And if mm-hmm. I'm looking at those two teams... Mm-hmm. I'm just going to side with Seattle's pitching. I know I said to you earlier this morning that we don't need to plan for Orioles Mariners playoffs because I don't think the Mariners <laughs> well, we are getting got, in. I know. And and this is the thing. Like, it's so we were joking about it a month ago, but now it looks as likely as ever and, and as unlikely as ever. So it's super hard to say. Uh, again, I'm just it's just so cool that it's even a possibility that we're even talking about it at all. So I, I hear that. And, and yeah, I mean, the Texas, the Texas clubs, and I've made this point so many times over the last month. The stakes for all these teams, even including Houston and missing the postseason, would just be such, such a disappointment for any of these teams for slightly different reasons. And so that is what is going to make these games uh, feel so important, whereas the National League, as we pointed out many times, is a little bit of a different situation. So let's cut the brakes, pull our inner Charlie Day out and scream wildcard bitches as we head over to the National League, because boy, oh boy. This is a chaotic mess. And I saw our friend uh, Tim Healy uh, tweeted something over the last couple days. Uh, Tim Healy, who, of course, um, covers the New York Mets. They are not in this discussion, obviously. But he tweeted something like, I've watched these teams enough to know that the expanded playoffs are indeed too much. Like, he, his point was basically, these teams are not good, and none of them deserve to say. This is what Tim tweeted. I've watched enough of Marlins, Diamondbacks, and Reds lately to confidently say we were all writing about the expanded playoffs being too expanded. The three wildcard spots is too many. To which I would say, we just talked about the American League (laughs) for 15 minutes and how those teams all feel like playoff teams, and one of them is not going to make it. So there's versions of this every year, and so you can make the debate one way or the other. But in the case of the National League, I do understand where Tim is coming from, especially when you see how some of these teams have been playing lately. 
However, I don't care. As you've pointed out, this is not about what's fair. This is not about making sure all the 12 best teams are in the postseason. I don't care about that. I want to be entertained. Some of these teams are more entertaining than others. And some of these teams, I do feel better about than others. So where are you at on this? Well, well let's set the stage uh, first and foremost. As we sit here on Friday morning, the Phillies are five games up on, I guess, the third wildcard spot. So they're three games ahead of Arizona, who's in the second one. And the Cubs and Marlins, the Marlins who hold the tiebreaker, I should mention, are tied for that third wildcard spot. Reds half game back. Giants free-falling, three back. Padres skyrocketing, four back. And we will end the conversation there. Sorry, Pirates. So we can get the Phillies, push them away. Like that's yep. the four seed. They're the <clears throat> yep. top wildcard team. There I have are. a dinner reservation for October 2nd, the night before the wild card round in Philadelphia. So that's yes. as good as booked in my mind. Okay. Yeah. Non-refundable who, tickets. Who will be there? Who's to say? <laughs> I think the Diamondbacks, they are pulling away from the Cubs who have looked atrocious recently. The offense just falling apart. The Diamondbacks, 81 at 72, still a negative run differential, which is patently hilarious. But there's something very dynamic about this team. I do not trust the pitching. However, they can run Zach Gallon out there every five days, and that is a huge bonus. Justin Steele looked really shaky in his last outing against Pittsburgh, probably securing the NL Cy Young for Blake Snell in that outing. I just think that Arizona will be the five, the six. Whew. I'm inclined <laughs> to side with Cincinnati just yeah. because like they have the most chaotic energy of this group mm -hmm. and somehow they're playing the best of any of these teams right yeah, now. I, th I would still say it's the Marlins, but I mean, it is tough to say. And I mean, they, again, yes. like as we try and parse through who deserves it and who will win, like Tim Healy is right. None of these teams are excellent. Even the Diamondbacks are incredibly flawed, right? Mm -hmm. However, do you want to know the truth or do you want to see me sock a few dingers? Yeah, no, I listen, I, I, I and honestly, again, let's move the Giants aside and we'll talk about the Padres in a second. I, I am would be excited to see all of these teams, although I will say that the Cubs are rapidly plummeting down those rankings. I I love watching playoff games in, in Wrigley Field, but if that's not going to happen, you know, there was a, there was a time maybe a month and a half ago where we were like, oh, maybe they can catch Philly. Maybe they can host that wild card. Like we're moving past that clearly. Right. And so if it's not, if it's just the Cubs on the road, I'm not as excited to watch them compared to Arizona, Miami, and Cincinnati who just have way more like fun young players. And listen, the Cubs are fun too. But the, to me, in terms of watchability, in terms of storyline, I think they're fourth for me. But again, what well, you're disagreeing. You, you want Here is what you are missing, Jordan Schusterman. Mm -hmm. If the Cubs are the sixth seed, they will be playing the Milwaukee Brewers That's true. in Milwaukee which is one of my favorite rivalries in baseball just Good because point. of the proximity. Two completely different cities mm -hmm. who really hate each other with the big brother, little brother rivalry. The Cubs having to go up the road to Milwaukee. It is going to be a European soccer style environment there because of how many road fans there will be. I don't think we've seen these two teams play a playoff series against each other. We had the wild card or sorry, the one game playoff mm -hmm. for the division 
where the Brewers won in Chicago, I think in 2018. Mm-hmm. But we've never, in at least my recent memory, seen these two teams play against each other in the playoffs. That's so a, a fair three point. game set That's true. in Milwaukee yeah. with the Cubs going mm-hmm. up there. And if they can line up the pitching, which I don't think they can, you know, Corbin Burns, Justin Steele in game one is sure, sure. there's yeah no, you're, you're right you're right and, and again like the, i can make the argument for and against a lot of these teams but that that is a very compelling point and but here's yeah, the last I, thing i'll just say one about more, this. like with like, thinking about the brewers yeah. hosting will uh-huh. be really cool mm-hmm. and the idea of them hosting miami sure or cincy is just underwhelming sure. for me roof closed cacophonous cauldron of sound a symphony of Loud sportsness, Cubs, <laughs> Brewers, chill in the air in Wisconsin, people grilling out in the parking lot, no one caring about the Packers. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Do people care? I don't know what the Packers status is. I know Aaron Rodgers isn't on their team anymore. Uh, totally fair. Um, I feel like you have made way too many. That's going to be them statements about teams in certain playoffs months this year to really think it's going to be Arizona for sure in the two when it's just a two-game lead because as they've shown us, I don't trust any of these teams whatsoever. I truly don't. And maybe that is a good transition to our last topic when it comes to what we are excited about over these last uh, 10 days, and that is the San Diego Padres. Jake, the San Diego Padres who spent the first five months of the season failing to win four games in a row, dysfunction up and down the organization. We had multiple wonderfully reported pieces last week in multiple outlets describing the dysfunction, the chaos, the collapse of the 2023 San Diego Padres, one of the most hyped teams that we've had in years with the roster that they had built. But now, Jake, here we are with 10 games to go. They are four games out of a wild card spot. They have won seven games in a row. Imagine the Potters winning seven. They couldn't win four. Now they've won seven. I guess they only have nine games left. Um, the I believe the lead story on MLB.com right now is Mike Petriello explaining how the Padres can make the playoffs. <laughs> <laughs> Which is such just the funniest thing ever. I'm looking at the headline only.com. October for the Friars? Well, it's not impossible. Padres aren't eliminated yet. Like I just Jordan, the give fact me those, that that's uh, leading MLB.com right now says a lot about how much stock we all put into this team as an industry and how desperate we are for them to give us one last moment of drama, even though it's probably not gonna happen. What are the playoff odds right now on fangraphs.com? Can you pull that up for me? It's like still 0.5, but I will pull it up anyway. <laughs> Seeing them four games back is very invigorating. And then you see the the, the magic number is six. And it's like, oh. Tragic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the tragic number. Yeah. Tragic the, number is six. The, the tragic so number is six. Yeah. The I, path but, for them, the path yeah. for them is somewhat doable just because of who they're playing. Yes. So they have the Cardinals at home mm-hmm. for three over the weekend. Then three against the Giants, who are sputtering. Mm -hmm. And then three in Chicago against the White Sox to finish the year. So that's a pretty kind slate. Yeah. And the White Sox, I mean, talk about needing to lose. Like, they have a great chance to get into the top three lottery odds if they can keep uh, racking up those L's. So 
They will certainly, and the Giants are, are in it, but are playing like shit. So I, it's like, is this false hope? Of course. But like, I'm just glad that we are still talking about them. <laughs> like for better or for worse, like this has been been very cool to finally see them get on a bit of a heater. They haven't lost since the entire industry shit on their culture and how they are built and how they are run, which is all still correct, by the way. All it needed was a little bit of negging, man. Yeah, I guess so. And now here they are um, with, I guess, one heck of an opportunity. I will say, and, I, and I've made this point a few times as we look through the strength of schedule, St. Louis is not your average bad team. Like They still have a lot of good baseball players that can beat you. And so while their record sucks, like that's not the same thing as playing the White Sox, I would say. But still... Still, they 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 have it there, and we will see if they have a chance. Have Dude, a chance. it would be. I mean, they can lose two more games. Really, is is the only lee, leeway they have. If we yeah, wake up that. on yeah. Yom Kippur on Monday, and the Padres are two back, we need to have a conversation. Well, it's even. I mean, but we're not podcasting on Monday. So, to, are they playing on Monday? I'm curious if on Tuesday, like, will the Padres still be mathematically alive on Tuesday morning is a, is a fascinating question. Yes. You're saying yes. I mean, it's not, again, tragic number of six means it, like you said, they really don't have a lot of losses to, to play with here, let alone they have five teams in front of them or whatever. There are three teams in front of them, I guess, technically. Um, so we'll see. We'll see. But we're just putting it out there. Maybe it's cruel. Maybe it's cruel. I'm sure there's some Padres fans like, no, please, like, can we bury the season? But I think this is fun. Four games, four games, nine to go. Sure. Fuck it. <laughs> uh, before we take a break, I guess it is worth saying, like, who do the Padres have the tiebreaker against? Just so. Yes, I think it's. I have it only in front of me. Cubs. I have it in front of me. Yeah. They have the tiebreaker. They do not have it against the Cubs. Okay. They have this. They went three and three against Cincy. So I don't know how that shakes down after that. That's complicated. And they beat the Giants season series unless they get swept in the final showdown. And then against Miami, they beat Miami. So they do have the tiebreaker against Miami. Okay. So we'll see. But again, Tuesday, are the Padres still alive? You say yes. I say I hope so. We are going to take a quick break. And when we return, talk about the call-up of top prospect Junior Caminero. Late-breaking news last night coming to the Tampa Bay Rays. A lot of angles to that one. We'll be right back on Baseball Barbercast. Hey, everyone. Producer Chris here with a quick housekeeping note about our merch. Look, in Australia, we love clothes and almost always wear them. If you're like us and also enjoy dabbling in clothes wearing, then why not consider some official Baseball Barbercast merchandise? Whether it's a jumpy rafter, which you would call a sweatshirt, a cap, which we would call an old hair hugger, or a shirt, which we would call a belly wrap, we have it all for you. But that's not all. Do you also like to drink water or caffeinated beverages? Well, that's great because we have mugs and bottles to help you quench your thirst too. To buy any of this merch, go to podswag.com slash baseball. The link is in the description of the podcast. And don't leave yourself clothesless this postseason. And welcome back to Baseball Barbacast. I'm Jake Mintz. That's Jordan Schusterman. Juniors have taken over the last few years, whether it is Vladimir Guerrero Jr., Fernando Tatis Jr., or Ronald Acuna Jr. It's an era of juniors in the big leagues. And now, finally, we have a junior for a first name. Junior Caminero, top prospect for the Tampa Bay Rays, is being called up to the big leagues. Now, 
Why are we talking about a top prospect on the Tampa Rays on Friday, September 22nd? Well, this kid is really different. Yeah, that's a good place to start. But also, I believe the context here is that the Rays, everything we said in the beginning of the podcast, they're going for it. They're trying to win the division. And if they're identifying Junior Caminero as one of their best options to help them win the division then that makes sense, right? I mean, they they have some injuries on offense. They have a guy in Taylor Walls who's been one of the worst hitters in baseball in the second half, plays a good shortstop. Caminero, do you know what you're getting defensively? Whatever. So we're going to get to Caminero, the player, in a second. But how he gets here is a sh- really shocking sequence that only lasts a f- couple years. But I want to bring it back to 2008, Jake. The junior Caminero story begins... In 2008, okay? In 2008, the Tampa Bay Rays draft a gentleman named Tim Beckham with the first overall pick. Tim Beckham, high school shortstop out of Georgia. Everyone's very excited. Tim Beckham, obviously, now that draft does not exactly age very well, but they checked Tim Beckham first overall. Tim Beckham makes his way slowly but surely through the Rays minor league system, makes it to the big leagues. He's not very good. He's just not very good. He becomes a big leaguer, which is still good. Some first overall picks don't even get that far, but he's just kind of okay. He's on the Rays. The Rays are also kind of okay. And in 2017, the Rays decide, you know what? It's just not happening here. Tim, it's been nice. We did our best to make you into a star that we thought you would be when we took you first overall. We are going to trade you to the Baltimore Orioles. Orioles, fresh start for Tim Beckham. And we are going to trade you for a pitcher in rookie ball named Tobias Myers. The Rays looking. Yes, Tobias Myers. They're looking at him and they're saying, oh, this guy's we're the Rays. We can turn this guy into a great pitcher. Let's get Tobias Myers. They acquire Tobias Myers. Tim Beckham goes to the Orioles. Tobias Myers makes his way through the Rays minor league system. He's pitching quite well. He's doing pretty well. 2021, he has a nice season. He reaches AAA, but... As has happened with the Rays often in recent years, they have a very crowded 40-man roster. And so when Tobias Myers needs to be added to the 40-man roster after the 2021 season, they say, you know what? We don't really want to make this decision right now. Let's trade you for someone younger that we don't have to put on the 40-man roster. And so whether they called up Cleveland or Cleveland called up them, Cleveland decided, hey, you know what? We could use Tobias Myers. He just pitched pretty well in AAA. He could help us. We got this shortstop in who's 17 named Junior Caminero. You know what? Like, he's a lottery ticket. Take him. Rays are like, great. We don't have to decide about the 40-man roster for Junior Caminero anytime soon. He's a looks like an athletic, you know, infielder who, by the way, just led the Dominican Summer League in home runs. There's clearly something there. I mean, this is not exactly a nobody. Okay, great. You can have Tobias Myers. Good luck developing him in Cleveland. That's what happens. Very soon after that trade happens in the 2022 season, it becomes clear, uh uh-oh, this is not going well for the Cleveland Guardians. Tobias Myers is pitching terribly in AAA. Junior Caramonero is blowing people away on the backfields. And now it's like, uh uh-oh, this this is not well. Tobias Myers ends up released. He's on the Giants. He ends up on the White Sox. Now he's on the Brewers. Junior Caramonero is skyrocketing a prospect list. And now... Jake, I'll let you take the story from here. What happens after the 2022 season? He goes to Australia. Sure, naturally. Why why does he go there? 
So the way uh, Cameron Arrow is Dominican and the way that the Dominican Winter League works is you're not eligible to play in the Dominican Winter League until you play in full season ball in yes. the minor leagues. Which he did, but not in time. You have to be called up to the full season level before August 1st of that season, which is not the case for Cameron Arrow. So while he did play like 20 games in Charleston, he was not eligible to play in his home Winter League. And so Tampa as they do with a lot of players, wanted their prospects to get experience in the winter playing. And so what was the league they felt most comfortable sending him to? That's right, the Australian Baseball League. And Camonero became a crucial member of the Perth Heat. Yes. Chris, producer Chris, can you just come on and say Perth Heat? <laughs> Perth Heat. Thank you, producer Chris. That's all we need. Uh, and Camonero was great over there. And <laughs> he, he hit 14 homers in 39 games as an 18-year-old uh, or 19-year-old. Um, he was obviously one of the best players in the league. as one of the youngest players in the league. He's like, great. All right. We got some experience. He goes to high A this year and just demolishes everything. Double A, same thing. This year, he's up to 31 home runs in 117 minor league games. What kind of player is Junior Caminero? Jake, Junior Caminero, and the reason why the Rays were so excited about getting him is that his bat speed is absurd. And people knew that at the time. That's the thing. I've talked to people who saw him in the DSL. He had insane bat speed. His bat speed was ridiculous. The nine home runs that led the league was not an accident. And the bat-to-ball skills weren't that bad. He was swinging a lot, but he was making contact a lot. His defensive home was in question. He was playing short, playing some third. Not the smoothest there. He's obviously grown a lot since he was 16. But it's like infielder with ridiculous, maybe 80-grade bat speed. That is, that's kind of what you're looking for in a prospect in the Dominican. And so for Cleveland to just be like, yeah, he's you can have that guy. Uh, that's concerning. But that's the kind of guy that he is. When you think about, when you watch highlights of him, it honestly makes me think of Acuna in some sense, where we think about elite power and where it comes from. Sometimes you're gigantic. Sometimes it's torque. Sometimes it's wrist strength. Sometimes it is bat speed. Sometimes it's rotational stuff. It's everything. And when you watch him, it reminds me of Acuna because just how fast the bat comes through the zone, and we've seen it with Acuna, who clearly also has 80 power. It's a hell of a swing to watch. I mean, my goodness. You watch the camera. It is so much fun to watch him swing the bat. Acuna, mm -hmm. as a 18-year-old in 2016, mm -hmm. also had an 1,000 OPS in Australia. So there you go. Was it also Junior? for the Perth Heat? I can't no, remember. No, it was for the uh, the Melbourne, I believe. The Aces. The, right? the Aces. Chris, can you come on and just say <laughs> Melbourne Aces, please? Melbourne Aces. They're my team, Melbourne Aces. There yeah, I didn't. I didn't ask you to do to tell us any of that. I just wanted you. <laughs> to, need to get I just Chris wanted your a, funny voice, brother. An Acuna Aces uh, jersey that really would oh. be. Um, that I, I need that. Yeah, we'll, we'll we'll have to do something on that. Anyway, point is that's the kind of player that he is. And I gotta say, did you see the video of him getting called up? Unbelievable! One of my favorite call up videos in a while, by far. Because call up videos. Not that I. I don't mean to poo poo this genre because obviously they. It is a great moment for anybody. But so many of them now are some combination of staged to the point where it's awkward or the player already knows they're getting called up and basically has to pretend like they're getting the news for the first time. 
not that I don't want versions of these videos no matter what, this might be the best one I've seen in a long time just because he genuinely is stunned. And as he should be. He turned 20 like two months ago, three months ago. He will be the youngest player in baseball. He's officially, finally, someone younger than Yuri Perez, born July 5th, 2003. And you see like, holy shit, I'm going to the big leagues. They had just been eliminated, I believe, from the AA playoffs. And he gets the news. And it that, it's, it's my favorite one of the year. It's so much better than calling him in and making up some story like, hey, like, I need you to work on this because you're going to the big leagues. <laughs> hey. no, this is so, so much better. And you can see how he's thought about in that room because of how bonkers it goes, right? Oh, yeah. And that's as the youngest player on the team, right? I mean, yeah. he's... He uh, he's been his ascent is is really something special. We, it's like we didn't the industry didn't really have time to kind of wrap our minds around what he had become so quickly, um, and now now he is this. Uh, and we'll see how much he gets to play with the Rays, what position he plays. I just you know I just want to see him swing a major league bat and see what he can do. Uh, the last thought on this before we move on, Jake, is this is a tough look for the Cleveland Guardians. Yeah, and this trade by itself has the potential to be an all-time catastrophe, right? But when you look at it in the context of some other trades that they've made, and I know you can kind of nitpick with every organization and say, there's a trade that they crushed, here's a trade that they did terribly. I mean, the Clevenger trade is still amazing. The Kluber trade to get Classe is still amazing. That's fine. But specifically, this is like the fifth or sixth instance that they have traded away a minor league hitter that has gone on to do very good things. And that is a concerning thing when you're when you're looking at an organization like that that doesn't have the ability to spend around m- misses like this. When you're trading away Yiner Diaz for Miles Straw, when you're trading away Yandi, of course, when you're giving away Gio Urshela for nothing, that's really one that kind of started this off, right? Will Benson flourishing in Cincinnati, Nolan Jones flourishing in Colorado. These are players that, like, offensively, it's <laughs> exactly what Cleveland kind of needs. And now you have one of the top prospects in baseball. That it's it's a tough look. It's really it's really um, at Cleveland. I, I respect a lot about their operation, but this is a lot of misses of the same kind of category, and that's that puts your organization in kind of a tough spot. So it is indeed it is indeed not what you want. Yes. So that is the Junior Caminero situation, Jordan. Let's take one more quick break, and when we return, we will bid adieu to the Nationals, Cardinals, and Red Sox and do our weekly edition of The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. And welcome back to the end of Baseball Barbiecast. Just this episode, not the entire series. I'm Jake Mintz. That's Jordan Schusterman. Let's say goodbye. Three more eliminated teams. Let's begin with the Washington Nationals. Again, when we say goodbye to these teams... We say, why do they suck and what are reasons to feel good? Why do the Nationals suck, Jake? Well, I would say that their biggest issue is a severe lack of power, a severe lack of on-base ability, and a very, very thin benching staff that had some bright spots, for sure, that we can get into. But we kind of knew this team was going to struggle. They were frisky in the middle of the season. They pissed some good teams off, which was great. And I think that there are reasons for optimism. The direction of the franchise is very interesting right now with both the ownership and the decision to bring back Davey and Rizzo and all these things. But 
we kind of thought they were pretty much what I expected. Like they're as far as results, it's pretty much heading towards uh, a season ninety law ninety losses, ninety two losses. That's kind of what I expected. I think it's better than what a lot of people expected. I think for Nats fans, the experience of mm-hmm. following the twenty twenty three Nationals has to surpass expectations from yeah. an entertainment perspective, from mm-hmm. a development perspective, mm-hmm. from the you know the 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 strides taken with the prospects, mm-hmm. Dylan Cruz entering the organization, James Wood continuing to play well. I think as a whole, the 2023 Washington Nationals season as an organization, despite the Strasburg mess and the lack of communication sometimes from the ownership group, I think it was a plus. So mm-hmm. huzzah. Yeah. And, and and like just to mention some of those younger, like CJ Abrams, you got to be feeling pretty good about him. I mean, he is two homers away from a 2040 season as a 22-year-old shortstop. I know the OBP skills are still not there. The defense is still a work in progress. He is an exciting young player. Um, you know, we see kind of the breakout of Lane Thomas, like just a really good major leaguer that you weren't really sure that you had. He's been really good. You know, Josiah Gray's definitely had kind of an up and down season. Mackenzie Gore definitely showed flashes. So still a lot of work to do here, especially on the pitching side of things. But especially on offense, you're starting to kind of see, you can start to visualize a 2025 lineup or even late 2024 lineup that you're really excited to go watch, I would say, is a good way to to frame the, the Nationals. That, that is a team I could be excited to go see at the end of next year. In some ways, it is a win for them that they are being grouped in with our next club, the <laughs> St. Louis Cardinals, who people, including myself, thought would win the NL Central this season. That is not what happened at all. What no. went wrong, Jordan? Very simple. I mean, the pitching, which we were skeptical of, was so much worse than we ever could have thought. And they basically admitted that uh, very early into the season. Nothing was clicking. And combining the pitching being completely lackluster with a horrific start for Nolan Arenado and some injuries on the offensive side was enough to kind of sink this team before it really ever had any chance of going anywhere. You had the Wilson Contreras disaster for the first few months, which has obviously since been rectified. And I just talked about that in the last show. Um, you know, still some good things that happen on, on the young position player side of things. Jordan Walker coming up and generally playing well, adjusting to the big leagues. But the pitching was just so thin and so bad by the end. But hey, bright spots. You identified it. You committed to the rebuild. You had a bunch of pending free agents. You were able to build up the farm system at a lot of different levels, especially the upper levels, acquire a lot of talented pitchers. I think they did really well at the deadline. And while I still don't know what the pitching plan is for 2024, and that is going to be a huge challenge to solve in the offseason, this is still a very strong offensive core. And I still think that they have a good, it, with the right moves, have a good chance to be back in the mix next year. So it is a very embarrassing season, and they deserve a lot of criticism for the way that they built it and kind of almost the arrogance to assume that you could just win the NL Central without trying, even though that has been true in the past. It caught up to them. Last team, the Boston Red Sox. We talked a lot about them last week when Chaim Bloom got the heave-ho as their chief baseball officer. Very bizarre year for the Red Sox. I remember at the beginning of the season just saying, this is not a team that compels me. And Mm. they really, you know, they they pulled through on that. And so for (laughs) that, I thank the Red Sox, genuinely. Yeah. I mean, I would say that for them too, it was a lack of pitching depth. 
It yep. was injuries to start where the younger guys, you know, we obviously you had story out, but while Yoshida was awesome for the first half, love the guy. I still believe in him. Has been very bad for the last six weeks or so. Uh, Devers has been merely very good instead of like MVP level. And the rest of the lineup, now again, some of those moves worked out. Justin Turner was fantastic, right? Tristan Cassis has been really good. And so especially when you're looking forward again, kind of like Boston, or sorry, kind of like the Nats in St. Louis, there's an offensive core here that I still feel pretty good about. What is the pitching strategy moving forward? I love Brian Bayo. Other than that, I have no idea what to expect from this group. So while, yes, Heim Bloom kind of built up the, the farm system in a good way, and there's some exciting things happening there, they have, they're going to have to find a way to get outs that... I don't think they're getting a one ERA from Chris Martin again next year. So, uh, and it still wasn't very good. I also don't totally know how to feel about them moving forward until they have a new yep. person atop the hobo. Yeah, who's their new pobo? That's a great question. Let's move to the good, the bad, and the ugly for you first time listeners. It's a simple shtick. We tell you one thing good, one thing bad, and one thing Dan ugly, odd, weird, notable, unique. From the week that was, Jordan, I will toss it to you right away. What was good this week? Uh, so we talked about the Padres and how good they've been recently. And a big part of that has been Xander Bogarts, who has somehow sandwiched a very mediocre to bad middle of his season with a ridiculously good April and an even better September where he is hitting well over 400. He has six straight multi-hit games, and he has basically blasted his OPS plus back up to what we expected it to be at the beginning of the season. Again, probably too little too late. Shouts out JoJo. But he is not the problem. I know he had a wrist injury earlier, um, the season that was clearly hampering him, but nice to see Xander, who we had so much faith in being a positive. Like, we had, were not worried about Xander Bogarts coming into this year, and there were times where I was worried. Maybe it was injury-related, but nice to see him swinging it. He has been amazing this month. My good is the Brewstar Gratterall mom situation. Brewstar Gratterall, yeah. the reliever for the Los Angeles Dodgers. His mother came and watched him play in the big leagues for the first time, flying from Venezuela to watch him. There was a go ahead. You look like you're going to say something. Yeah. Well, I'm just saying. I mean, did you see her first pitch? Well, that's what I was going to say next. Yeah. Yeah. She threw out the first pitch last night, Dodgers Giants game, and it was a zippy strike. Not just the lob, there was some real fuzz on that thing. Not surprising that her son throws 100 miles an hour. That's my favorite part, right? Like yeah. if Bruce Star Gratterall threw 91 and his mom showed up and threw gas, it'd be cool. But the idea that Bruce Star Gratterall's mom can chuck the pill is great. And that she did it on the same night that Stephen A. Smith went out to Yankee Stadium exactly. and threw out the first pitch and bounced yes. the damn thing, embarrassing yes. himself. Love all of this. Go Bruce Dar Gratterall. Go Mama Gratterall. Totally agree. Uh, yeah, I mean, truly one of the best first pitches I've seen all season. Like that from the mound. Like she just she just hucked it in there. Like that was a strike. I think she has better extension than her son too. <laughs> I know that was the other thing. I mean, it's not just that he throws a hundred. It's that he is. It is the easy. It is the lowest effort a hundred uh, ever. And and you know maybe maybe he's born with it as we just see as we just saw. Uh, my bad. That's a great good. My bad. Is this quote from David Ross? Uh, the Cubs lost another <laughs> embarrassing game to the Pirates last night. And David Ross said this. That is not a good team that just took two out of three from us. Or not our caliber of team, I believe. We have to turn it around. It's on me. It's on the guys in the room. 
Um, so this is basically, <laughs> I didn't mean to combine this with Xander Bogarts, but if we recall earlier this season, Xander Bogarts, when the Padres dropped a series to the Nationals, he basically said the same thing. He said, we shouldn't be losing to them. However, for David Ross at this point in the season, I, I, we can't be hearing like, I mean, it's both an admission, but like firing shots like that at this stage when your season is, is really in the balance. When I'm not sure you're a good team either. <laughs> This is not good. So there you go. That's bad. Did you see the gift that the Oakland Athletics gave (laughs) Mr. Miguel Cabrera as his goodbye present? Yes, I did. So the A's gifted Miggy what appears to be an $80 bottle of wine. Okay. Now, first of all, there are multiple layers of bad here. Agreed. One is that Miguel Cabrera is an alcoholic. Now, there are some alcoholics who do drink. It's about, um, what's the word I want? It's about moderation, right? However, still a bad look. (laughs) Still a bad look to give an alcoholic booze. Yes. Okay. That's the first thing. Second thing, it's $80. Come on. (laughs) But to me, this is like literally like cots. First of all, whose job is this? They forgot that Miggy was coming and they were like, shit. God, we well, gotta get him something. Exactly. It's like when you're going to someone's house for a dinner party and it's like, oh, woo, crap, the housewarming. We need to pick up a bottle of wine. But what's funny is like for you and I, picking up an $80 bottle of wine is an insulting thing in a weird move if you're going to someone's house because that's way too much money to spend on a bottle of wine for us. But for a baseball team, for a team, for an organization, $80 on a bottle of wine is an embarrassingly low amount of money. If you're going to get Miggy a bottle of wine, it's got to be at least 100 How It's got to be at uh, least yeah. 100 I mean, I don't know enough about this. I guess someone just saw the label and Googled it. Is that yeah. what we assume? Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, it's lazy. <laughs> the laziness is the worst part. It is just such an uninspiring gift that has yeah. very little to do with Oakland, I guess, you know, they're near Napa. Now, yeah, I assume there's some sort of, you know, connection like that. They make wine. Amazing. Uh, I agree. That's troubling on many, many levels. Maybe the bottle of wine is filled with sewage from the dugout. <laughs> oh, that's horrible and disgusting. Uh, my ugla this week, or do you want to go first? What would you, what's your, what's your ugla? I'll go first. Yeah, go first. You say Kikuchi be sleeping, baby. Oh, I'm so glad we, we get to talk about this. I, I, I didn't. Thank you. Go ahead. <laughs> Tell us more for those that missed this. So Yusei Kikuchi had like net cramps in his most recent outing against the Yankees. Mm-hmm. And after the outing, he was like, you're going to be okay for your next start? And he was like, yeah, like I didn't sleep well last night. I only got 11 hours instead of my normal 13 or 14. What? It's like, what? Huh? Excuse me? So, 14 hours of sleep <laughs> is... And by the way, we should point out, he later clarified 13 and 14 is really only what he does before his start days. So, it's not an every night situation, 13 or 14 hours of sleep. Still. Man, Ridiculous. Respect. I don't know how, even as someone who has definitely tried to prioritize sleep more as I've gotten older, certainly relative to where I was 10 years ago, this is a level to aspire to 
although I will say, like for the people, like it's not actually that surprising because majorly, and I've heard other big leaders talk about this, especially on the road, often not waking up until noon. Like they don't have to. They really don't have to. And so there's a, but still, even not waking up until noon, like it's just wild that we're tucked in at 10 p.m. 14 hours is fucking nuts, dude. That's crazy. This is from uh, a Stephanie Apstein article at SI, a uh, friend of the show. I'm just going to read some amazing things from this. Quote, my teammates ask me how I'm able to sleep so much, but like, honestly, if you close your eyes, I feel like you should be able to sleep. This is a man living peacefully. This is like Barry Bonds, the hitting coach, where it's like, oh, really? You just hit it? Like, just hit it, dude. Just hit a home run. Just move your hands inside and hit a home run. Just close your eyes and go to sleep. What's the big deal? Yusei Kikuchi is a walking, breathing melatonin gummy. This is incredible. It typically takes Kikuchi about five minutes to nod off, and he begins his bedtime process with 10 minutes of meditation. He does not need fancy accoutrement or especially dark rooms, although he has become fond of a pillow he ordered on Amazon. He says he would consider an endorsement deal with a mattress company. Kikuchi says he has been a good sleeper since he was a boy. Just naturally, he says in English. He adds that he only needs 14 hours before it starts, and other days he's happy to settle for 8, 9, or 10 hours. This reminds me of an interaction I had with Yusei Kikuchi at the All-Star game, when basically I was asking a bunch of All-Stars, like, what would you tell yourself as like a kid that like you, like you get to go tell the kid version of yourself, you're going to be an all-star. Like, how would you react? And you say Kikuchi said like, if I essentially along the lines, I'm paraphrasing of, if I knew I was going to be an all-star, no matter what, I would not be working as hard. <laughs> I was like, I wouldn't be so stressed about everything. I was like, I love this guy. Quote, he could sleep through this, says outfielder Dalton, Dalton Varsho as Rick Ross's hustling drowns out his words. It's incredible. I wish I had that superpower. It is a superpower. I've said that before. Like, if you could actually sleep on command in that way, like, that is 100% an incredible skill. We salute you, you say. Incredible. Uh, my ugla this week. Jake, are you familiar with Baseball United? Yes, I am. We I uglied this on the show earlier this year. Okay. Well, we have an update. I know. Okay, well, can you remind people? Uh, did we really? I, I couldn't remember. It seems vague. I mean, I've been following this uh, closely. Baseball they're, United. They're playing baseball in Dubai. They're playing <laughs> baseball in Dubai. Now, who's playing baseball in Dubai? Basically, what this is, is a three-day showcase of a bunch of former major leaguers playing baseball in Dubai as an effort in an effort to expand the reach of the sport in the region. The four teams that will be playing uh, the move, we got Mumbai, we got Karachi, Abu Dhabi, and Dubai are playing in this game. But what we had this week is that what's been interesting following the story is that uh, so many former players are investors or co-owners, but also a lot of them who are of similar ages and recent playing experience are going to be playing. And so it's hard to really tell. Like, I believe Didi Gregorius is going to be playing in this. Angelton Simmons, I believe, also will be playing in this. I saw some other recent minor leaguers, some guys that called up recently. Dylan Thomas are going to be playing in this. Nick Swisher, I can't tell if Nick Swisher is going to be playing or, or the owner, but just a ridiculous list of players involved in this. I mean, the first list was Mariano Rivera, Barry Larkin, Adrian Beltre, Felix Hernandez, Elvis Andrews, Ryan Howard. Those are like the first guys. And Here's now we're Bartolo. Getting- 
Bartolo is there, but like, is Bartolo going to pitch? I feel like he might. We got Hanley involved. We got Robinson, Chirinos, Shane Victorino. Like, it's just such a fascinating thing. I don't know what this is going to look like. I'm a little bummed out that this is happening the same weekend as the Lee Dome series in New York. So it's going to be a little hard to track it, let alone the time difference. But I'm just excited to see what the hell this looks like. Pablo Sandoval, I believe, is going to be involved playing, I think. So we'll see. Just keep your, when you, I'm just warning people that on November 11th, if you start seeing stuff on social media of Pablo Sandoval hitting a dinger in Dubai, you have been warned. That is very we, ugly. We definitely don't need to worry about Abu Dhabi, their team's owner, uh, spending on payroll. <laughs> Expansion? A's moving Expansion. to Karachi? Um, all right. Ca- let's Castellini's take note. <laughs> okay. uh, this has been a delightful Friday edition of Baseball Barbecast. If you enjoyed this, leave us a rating review. Let us know what you like, what you don't like. Always appreciate the support. Make sure you're subscribed. Follow wherever you get your podcasts. You can email us at baseballbarbecast at gmail.com. Thank you, Chris Tyler, for producing. Jake, let's finish it out. What are you watching this weekend? I mean, I'm watching Rangers Mariners. Not that complicated. Same. What else are you like? Say, I mean, yeah, that's that's the one. That's that's the thing that everyone will be watching. Um, and I can't wait. And I'm going to be very nervous. I will be at the Reds game on Sunday. Last home game of the year. If you're going to be there, let me know. I will maybe come say hello. But otherwise, have a wonderful weekend. We'll be back on Tuesday after Yom Kippur. Everyone have a wonderful fast. If you, an easy fast, I should say. Probably, it's usually not wonderful. But have an easy fast if you are doing that like we are. Uh, until Tuesday. Have a good weekend, everybody. We'll talk to you soon. Serious XM Podcasts.